BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hey guys, what is up? And welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. Today's episode is so good, you guys. I recorded this less than a week ago, like a few days ago. And I remember getting into the car and I was like, this has to be the next episode that goes up because it is so value packed and so interesting. And it is definitely one of my favorite, favorite interviews that I've ever done because it's just so different. And our guest, Shan Boudram, is so full of really good information. So Shan is a sexologist and a relationship expert. She is a best-selling author and just an incredible, incredible woman. I learned so much from her. Today's episode is all about dating, relationships. You know, we talk a lot about finding a partner if you're single, how to start flirting and, you know, just talk about this whole area of life because, and we'll talk about this in the episode, but it's so interesting that we are always striving to get better in every area of our lives, but relationships are always supposed to be cruise control. And, you know, if you're single, it's just something that you're supposed to be good at flirting and getting dates. And if you're in a relationship, then most people just kind of have it be there, you know? And today's episode is really about working on our relationships, whether you are single and going on dates or in a relationship, just working on it actively like we work on everything else. And that means learning about this area as well. So Shan is an incredible resource. I am honored to have had her on the podcast and had such a dynamic, interesting conversation. And I think that you guys are going to walk away with so much information. There is so many tangible tips on things like how to date how to flirt, 
Like actually she will teach you. And it's so good that I came out of this interview and I've literally been sharing these tips with my single friends. And so many people have bought her book because of how much I've raved about her. So I'm so excited to bring you this episode. Before we dive in, let's go over this week's review, which comes to us from Chasen Health. And they say, optimal health and cold plunge episode, first time listener and absolutely amazing. The episode showed up in my feed as I was searching for health channels. I truly felt as though I was listening to a couple of good friends and sharing our passion for healthy living. It was insightful, full of new information to me, and most important, left me wanting to go further into becoming my highest self. Can't wait to listen more. Subscribing now. This is such a nice review. Thank you so much, Chase and Health. I'm guessing you're talking about my episode with Sherevine from Symbiotica. If you haven't listened to that episode, go listen. And guys, if you want to show this show the show support and feel like it's brought you value, please take a second to rate and review the show. All you have to do is open up the Apple Podcast app, scroll down to the bottom where it says rate and review. If you feel like I've earned it, leave me a five-star rating. And in the review section, tell me anything you want me to hear. Let me know your favorite episode guests you've loved, topics you love, topics you want to see more of. The more information you can give me, the better. I'm always striving to show up as the best possible host for you guys. And I can, I, I do that more successfully if I hear directly from you. So I really appreciate if you take a second to do that. Lastly, before we dive into the episode, this week's hot tip, which I have been dying to share. You guys, we got a new mattress, okay? So we got the cooling mattress from Hush Blankets. And let me tell you, it has transformed formed my sleep. I cannot believe I had been sleeping on a regular mattress for so long <laughs> and that I waited all this time to get a cooling mattress. I run really hot while I sleep. I have to keep our house at like 63 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit. I just like to sleep in cold temperatures. And the cooling mattress really helps. You know how when you're lying on a mattress and the whole thing feels really warm, that doesn't happen with a cooling mattress. It's just like cool all the time. So anyway, my one's from Hush. I'm so glad I upgraded my last mattress and I could not recommend more. So transform your sleep, you guys. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a game changer. All right. With that, let's welcome Shan to the Dream Bigger podcast. So I want to start off this conversation, Shan, with like a question that I've been having with a lot of my single girlfriends and, you know, single team members even. And this is like something that I'm supposed to ask you, just like instructions, which okay. is <laughs> how are people supposed to date outside of the apps? And do you even think it's like possible in this day and age to have that? It's so possible. You got to be good. Mm hmm. It's a different set of skills for sure. I think that's it is. They're different sets of skills. In order to date outside of the apps, you have to one, have a very full life. You know, people have that advice, like love comes to you when you're not looking. It's like, yeah, but you gotta be living. Yeah, 100%. So volunteering, going to cycling class, whatever your interests and hobbies and your values are, you have to be actively engaging in communities outside of there. You don't have to be like talking to everybody in that way, but just making yourself available in those spaces where you would naturally meet somebody who's aligned with you is very important. One. Number two, it definitely helps to be good at talking to people. And I'm a professional flirter and I practice all the time. Okay. It's interesting because my friend is actually recently single. And so yesterday she was like, I'm thinking of like switching up my Instagram so that more people DM me. And I was like, what? Why are you <laughs> waiting for people to DM you? She's like, what do you mean? Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, DM them. Mm -hmm. You have a podcast. I do that all the time. 
hot dudes. I'll be like, do you want to come be a guest on my podcast? Or I ask advice or I'm like, this is really hot guy. I'm married, but I have this really hot guy that I'm like friends with for a long time. And he has a company. That's why I asked if you're a founder mm-hmm. too. And I was like, I want to hang out with him. And I'm like, I'm going to ask him to like for a mentorship dinner. And I told him I didn't DM him. I was like, you want to go out for like, can I just ask you some questions about your business? Like, that's what you do. You have to be willing to do those things. And like put yourself out there. Put yourself out there. Start banter with random people. Practice all the time so you can get good at it when it counts. Like anything else. If you're not practicing in low risk environments, when it really matters, you're not going to have the cojones or the ovaries to do it. So I love that you say that, you know, you practice flirting because I was speaking to someone and I'm not going to say who. You have to now. <laughs> I already did something pretty cringy and admitted something. You have to admit something. Too. So no, because it's for them. Okay. <laughs> but I was talking to them and I was like, you have to enter a flirty hoe phase because yes. like you just have to put yourself out there and flirt with like anyone and everyone because it, it, like what, what you're saying is absolutely right. And I think that there's this misconception that like all of a sudden you're supposed to be like sexy and alluring, but like it's a craft. And how are you supposed to do that if you've never done it in your whole life? So from there, like what are some tangible tips you can give to someone to be a little bit more flirty and put themselves out there? So I'd say basic indicators of interest are good to get aware of. So Eye contact, getting comfortable making eye contact with people, gestures, identify gestures that you can do that you know are signifiers of interest, right? So, you know, winks or whatever your thing is, tongue Mm -hmm. out at somebody. I do something called the eye triangle Mm -hmm. where it's like looking someone directly in the eye, Mm -hmm. down at their body and then back up. So there's little stuff that you're like, I know when I do this, it opens the door for some more flirty banter. Compliments, super easy one. You should do that with everybody regardless, right? picking out something if you're interested in somebody you never want to be like inappropriate right like yeah your shoulders look super sexy like that (laughs) even for you know if you're a woman who's flirting with a man you don't want to make them feel weird but there are compliments that can tread the line a little bit Mm -hmm. right like this jacket hugs your body perfectly you can interpret that kind of friendly or Mm -hmm. like oh she's coming on to me a little bit so i think yeah even just researching indicators of interest and then identify which ones you're like, these feel accessible for me to start trying today. Mm -hmm. That's how you get great. And tell me if someone is wanting to approach someone out in the wild, okay? And they think someone is like hot or whatever. How would you approach someone in a non-sleazy way? Like what's the first thing you'd go and say? I would ask a question. I would definitely go up to them and be like, do you know how long this taco truck stays here? I'm dying for tacos, but I have to go grab my wallet. Whatever, you know? What's the best muffin at Starbucks? Do you come here often, right? It's not that, but there is some question that you can always read. And I think women inherently are very good at detecting indicators of interest, right? Like we're very sensitive to other people's energy, sometimes too sensitive, Mm -hmm. where I find that the masculine is often like so delusional Mm -hmm. that like everybody likes me (laughs) that they're willing to go five steps until the person has to be like clear like I'm not interested Mm -hmm. but traditionally I think women are more a lot more sensitive if somebody is giving back so if I go and ask somebody a question like oh um do you know if I can park here I read the sign but I'm always so bad at reading the signs and they're like yeah actually I don't know and then they turn away you're like okay well there's not really an invitation to continue on but if they're like, oh, and they go try to help you or they make they relate to you, now it's an opportunity to try to elaborate and go a little bit deeper with them. So start off as innocuous and as simple as possible. Use your environment to your advantage and see where it goes from there. 
So step one, let's say I am a single woman and I want to meet someone out in the wild. Step one is putting myself out there and like doing things that are of interest to me. Step two is like going and asking that question and like. Yes, uh, I'm actually reflecting on this in terms of flirting or trying to court Mm -hmm. people that you're not sexually attracted to, but you want to be friends with. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking that the mistake that I make a lot because I would never tell someone to go up to somebody and be like, I think you're super hot. Yeah. It's just not even like you can say that, but it but could be uncomfortable. It's also high risk, I feel. Yes, it's you know? high risk. And it kind of puts you at a disadvantage. Like now you've entered into the fan category. Mm-hmm. And like now it's no longer a game because part of the joy is the game of the pursuit. And, and also there's so much information you don't have about somebody just by looking at them. Mm-hmm. So to accept them without even giving them any kind of audition or qualifier makes you a little bizarre. Because I should like you should have to work for my appreciation. You have to work for my attraction. I'm just thinking about that because if I see someone that I admire, I go up to them right away and I'm like, I just want to say I love your work. And that conversation rarely goes anywhere. Exactly. I'm absolutely with you. I think that it's interesting that you bring this up because I think that whether it's dating or like friend dating, quote unquote, or like making a new friend, whether it's someone you admire or like just like no one, whatever. I think it's the way you start the conversation that will dictate kind of like how it goes, you know, and you're right. Like if you just go up to someone and the first thing is that, oh, I love this or that, like you don't really give them an opportunity to be curious about you. Yes. And I think that that banter, that's where banter starts from rather. Yeah. And it's a bizarre line. Like I saw Gail King the other Mm -hmm. day and I went up to her and I was like, I just want to say, I really appreciate and admire your work. And she's like, thank you. And then the conversation ended. But then there's this weird thing where I'm like, should I have pretended I didn't know who she was at first? Because it's she kind of knows, like, bitch, you know who I am. I'm I wonder, though, if there's a way to navigate that being like, I read your book. What do you think of this? Or like, I saw you here. What did you think of this? And then that way, it's like, it's not awkward because you're not pretending like you don't know, especially when it's someone of that caliber. Yes. But it does give you an opportunity to get a conversation started. And Maybe that's like makes you a little bit more memorable because I'm sure like if it's someone like Gail King, like it's like everyone is going up to them. You know what I mean? Yes. But this way, someone's actually asking an engaging question. That's actually a really great point, too, because that's what they say when it comes to compliments, especially when you're trying to compliment really attractive people who often get compliments or very stylish people. Mm-hmm. Right. So if my in for you would be to be like, love your jacket, you probably heard that 17,000 times a day. Mm-hmm. But if I'm like, the way that you have a tight shirt with loose pants and an oversized jacket is brilliant. Well, thanks, Shan. I'm going to take that. <laughs> right. And you might be like, oh, actually, yeah, I've been playing around with different sizes. Or then you might feel compelled to like compliment back me because I've actually totally. taken the time to really investigate you and say something meaningful. So, yeah, to your point, maybe if you go up to them and you're showing that not only are you a fan, but you're like a not critical, but you're a conscious consumer. Mm -hmm. They might be compelled to be like, and what about you? So I love that. I want to go. Thanks for helping me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we we figured it out. The formula. (laughs) I'll get you next time, Gail. (laughs) So I want to go back to your background because I am so fascinated by the fact that, you know, you specialize in relationships and sex and all of that. Because as I was saying earlier, we it's interesting. We want to grow in every area of life. Okay. Like you're supposed to look into how to improve in your career and your health and like all of these areas. And yet when it comes to our relationships, whether it's dating or being in a relationship, it's like, it's just automatic. And I am in complete disagreement with that mentality. 
I just don't think that it sets you up for success. So what got you into this line of work? Were you always interested in it? And yeah, just like I'm like so curious. I just want to give a shout out to you for backing into the question the way that you do because of the fact that it's a non-traditional, it's getting more traditional, but it's a non-traditional vocation to pick up. Mm -hmm. I often feel the question is an attack. Mm -hmm. Like I was on a podcast a couple of days ago and she was like, so you're a relationship expert. How does one become a relationship expert? And it feels like they're rolling their eyes like- you can't be an expert on this thing. Are you joking? Hell yes, of you can Of course you be. can. Yeah. I think, and the, but I think traditionally, I mean, I've been in this space for a very long time. Yeah. I've been for 15 years. Definitely when I began, that question was always an attack. And it was always an opportunity for people to be like, hmm, gotcha. You know, like if you didn't have the answer that I do have, mm-hmm. because I've actually put the time and work in and I have educational backing and I have put in the time to ensure that that answer is thorough, especially as a woman of color. We can't be caught out here slipping. It's interesting because I've talked to a lot of white men in the space who I'm like, what do you, you know, what what's your lower third? Or, you know, did you get training? And they're like, no. And then you're like, because you don't necessarily need it because lived experience is valuable. And there's so many different ways to learn. You can read books. You can take informal classes. You can be engaged in workshops. You can be a part of boards. You don't have to have a degree or, you know, a comma after your name in order to ensure you're an expert. 10,000 hours is many ways to acquire that. So I don't believe you have to have a psychology degree, which I have, be licensed in order to say you're an expert. I do think that you have to put the time and effort in. But men are not never asked that follow-up question of like, well, why are you an expert? And mm-hmm. how did you become one? Anyways, but I love how you approach this because I agree exactly that, that in anything in life that we want to be great at, we understand that there is a formal route to mastery, right? Which is like interest, education, scaffolding, practicing, and then constantly engaging with other masters in order to learn from them. And if you want to be a great cook, that's what you do. Exactly. But why when it comes to love, sex, and dating, are we like either you have it or you don't? It's wild to me. And it's actually a big area of passion for me. And my husband and I have been together almost for 11 years now. We're dating for a long time. And What did you do for your 10th year anniversary? Well, we were both actually very sick. That was last year. But then we got each other like really special gifts. I got like a beautiful watch for him, engraved it. Like he got me like a bunch of little gifts that I picked out. And then we went on a trip to Italy. A flex. He got so. me a bunch of gifts I picked out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's genius. Because listen, the thing is something that you have to realize or that I've realized is that I may be really good at something, which is for me, I love giving gifts. Okay. And I will note down exactly what it is you want. And I have like a notes for like everyone I love in my life. And so I know what I'm to get them. My husband, that's not his thing. Like he loves me. And I remember last year he's like, okay, I'm going to go through what I had thought of for the gift for you. And I was like, okay. And then he read me the list and I was like, I don't want any of that. Let's just go pick out what I want. He's like, thank you so much. And I'm like, it's fine. Thank you so much. He was so thrilled. Cause I was like, and I've been through it with him in the past where he's like given me something. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So I'm like, we all have our strengths. This is not one of yours. Yeah, I completely feel that. I'm I'm not a strong gift giver, but I am stronger than my husband for damn sure. Yeah. But maybe not. I might be delusional. But I think it's a bizarre thing when it comes to love that we place such a huge emphasis on mind reading. Exactly. Like that is like that's it's a nice talent to have or something that's nice to invest in, but it's not like a marker of do you love me or not. Yeah. And also I think 
sometimes we project what we are good at onto someone else. And it's just the you just have to realize that our strengths are so different, yes. you know, and like that's kind of what a relationship is like. Of course, you can if something is bothering you about a person, you can work on it together. But like don't project and also don't expect them to read your mind and be you, you know, like you are with someone because of who they are, you know, and that's what keeps things interesting. So what I was getting to, though, was the fact that we've been in a relationship for like almost 11 years and like our relationship is something we actively work on. And it's something I'm constantly reading about. I'm like very, very interested. I love Esther Perel. I love John Gottman's work. So it's really fascinating. And, and so- they talked together recently. Did you see that? No. Yeah, they had a conversation together. It was really great. Ooh, where? It was a video. I saw only a clip on our Instagram. So I actually should dive deeper and look at the rest of it. But oh my it was God. a great clip. Fascinating. Okay, so then tell me about how you got into it. What led you to this practice? I want to hear everything. It was basically- having a really shitty experience on both ends. So I started off as a sex educator in 2005. I began my journey because I had a really shitty teen sex life. So I'm born in 1985. So by mm. the time I was like 18 or so. And I was like, okay, either the church and my parents are right. This is a terrible thing that you should not do unless you want to have a green vagina and terrible experiences and a broken heart or the way I'm engaging with it is wrong. So let me turn to books and read. So I turned to books and I read and I was like, wow, great information, terrible, boring, dry delivery. Mm -hmm. How can I reinvent this in a way that I would want to engage with and my peers would want to engage with? And that was a precipice for my career in 2005. And then 2009, my first book came out laid. And then I got certified as a sex education counselor in Canada and worked there in that way formally. When I moved to California in 2000, I got certified as a sexologist and then um, I did my degree in psychology. I'm doing my master's right now in psychology as well. And so I just found that everything that I learned was practically applicable to my life. Mm -hmm. And I found that there was so much incredible information out there that and there was no one size fits all. So I wanted to cure as much as possible to present people with options. And I realized that's my gift. I am not a one-to-one -one worker. It's not what I'm good at. I do not enjoy it at all. And I did a brief stint of counseling and I was just like, this is not my gift. My gift is taking information and finding a way to bring it to the masses. Taking information that people may not traditionally seek out, but can be extremely valuable in their life in ways they haven't even considered and making it fun, sexy, interesting, engaging, and shareable. I love that. It's really, really fascinating. You've written not just, you've like written a number of Two books. Two books, yeah. The last one was Game of Desire, yes. right? Yes. Uh, I was reading the synopsis so for it. Research. It was, it's on my read list, actually, in my Audible. And the reviews are incredible. So can you give everyone like a little bit of a background on what the book is about? Because I think it's really fascinating. You like there's like other women who are involved in it. Can you explain? Yeah, it was such a I, I'm actually starting my third book right now, starting the process of. So I don't know what it's going to be, but I loved writing that book. And essentially it was an immersive experience where I took six women who get the short end of the stick when it comes to dating, constantly ghosted, passed over, feeling like the second option feeling like they're not enough, but knowing they have so much to offer and ha they do have so much value. So I took these women through a six-step, five-step process. And essentially it was me being like, okay, cooking rice, there's a very basic system here. You can get creative, you can get fancy, but at the end of the day, if you wanna know how to cook rice, you can go and look it up and you can learn. When it comes to dating, why can't it be the same? 
Why does it have to be these theories that are intangible or these mindsets that are hard to even attain or get to, even that, you know, confidence is key. How the f- do you get confident? No, it's true. So confidence is the result of competence. It's doing something well over time and proving to yourself you're good at it and then feeling like, okay, I can do this. So I wanted to give people clear steps for how to get great at dating. And so I walked six women through that experience. That's the book. So it's half a story of our experience together and then half tangible tips that the reader can learn along with. So when at the end of this project, did these women actually end up like dating people? Yeah, like someone got married. I had some people who identified like their sexual identity in a very different way, like through this experience, like actually I've learned this about myself and some were in relationships and some were dating and um, I still keep in touch with those girls to this day. It was a life-changing, amazing time. It's my favorite year, 2018, the year that I created that experience. My book came out the following year, but the year that I worked on that was the best year of my life. If you haven't yet tuned into my episode with Shervin, who is the co-founder of Symbiotica, you are missing out. It is a real deep dive into all things health and wellness. And it's actually the person who wrote a review for this week's review was talking about that episode. And it's really no surprise because Shervin is a real like health expert in and really goes deep into all things wellness. And of course, no surprise, he is the co-founder of Symbiotica, which is a health supplement company designing sophisticated formulations that are scientifically proven to increase vitality and longevity by filling nutritional gaps that result from our modern day diet. It is the highest bioavailable ingredients and the most advanced delivery system. So I've talked about Symbiotica's products before. I'm a huge fan of their longevity mushrooms. I've also started using their Golden Mind. Their products are delicious. And I really like that they are in liposomal format, a lot of them, because depending on the kind of ingredients you're using, liposomal delivery can be very, very powerful. Shervina also talks about a few other of their new products in our episode. So you should go check that out. And I'm really excited that they are a sponsor for the show. As someone who's in the industry, I'm just really picky about what kind of supplements I'm consuming. And Symbiotica definitely meets my very stringent standards. And what I really appreciate about their mission is that they're here to educate people and really help optimize our lives so that we feel really just full of vitality and life. Symbiotica has an offer for you guys. Use the code DREAMBIGGER on symbiotica.com for 15% off site-wide or create your own custom bundle. And guys, get this, you get up to 45% off. And this code applies on top of custom bundle discounts, which is insane. Like the savings on this are crazy. And let me tell you, I will most definitely be using my own discount. So again, you want to use the code DREAMBIGGER on symbiotica.com for 15% off site-wide or create your own custom bundle and get up to 45% off. Enjoy. Do you want to start a company but have no idea where to begin? Or do you have dreams of becoming an influencer? Well, the Life with Mariana podcast is here to help. I'm Mariana Hewitt, a Los Angeles-based influencer and co-founder of the Clean Skincare line, Summer Fridays. Each Tuesday, I'm talking to my friends from business owners, wellness experts, and more to share all of their best advice for you to live your best life. Make sure to tune in and subscribe to my podcast and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what's coming up each week so you don't miss an episode. 
So what do you think women have been doing or like certain women are doing wrong when they kind of fall into these buckets where they've been ghosted or they're not being able to find the right person? Like what what do you think are like the major mistakes, quote unquote, mistakes that women are dating when they're what they're making when they're dating? So the book is five phases. The first mm-hmm. phase is no. The second phase is change. And then the third phase is learn. Then it's practice. Then it's be. Mm-hmm. No is the biggest one. Mm-hmm. People do not know themselves. Wait, you need to expand on that. What do you mean they don't know themselves? Because they people have, are like so specific about who they are and their likes and dislikes. I guess in like, a, yeah, like I, here's my Uber Eats menu mm-hmm. or like here's what I can't travel in a car on like looking at my phone, like those mm-hmm. kind of things. Mm-hmm. But like, what is your attachment style? What are your triggers? What are your sexual accelerators? What are your sexual breaks? What are some of your pet peeves? Like what are some of your barriers and boundaries? What are the limiting beliefs that you've adopted about yourself? And how does that impact how you interact with people? I think seeing the world as a giant mirror in which you have so much control over how people interact with you, not the other way around, is a huge epiphany that a lot of people need to come to and really haven't yet. And my... Fun fact about the game of desire is I was like six weeks and five steps to making you the ultimate seducer (laughs) girl, literally nine months later, because the no part took so much time. There was so much resistance. There was so much lack of acceptance. Like people weren't able to look at themselves and they only looked at themselves through the lens of like, it's like a virtuistic lens. And I have a podcast as well. And I had a girl on there recently And she came on to tell about her like love story. It was just like, I want to talk about my dating life. And then I was like, I pray this girl asks me, what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. Because it's so obvious to me. Every story that she told, all of her faults were always like virtuous. Like if she was willing to say I did something wrong or here's where I may have not showed up in a way that, you know, yielded the results I was looking for, it would just be like, well, I'm too nice or... I love too much too fast and I'm really giving and other people aren't like, you know, you're nodding your head because you know what I'm talking about. So I think that's like the number one fault is that people are so unwilling to honestly look at themselves and look at how who they are makes a massive impact on how people treat them and how they're able to show up in relationships. You're actually completely right because I hear that a lot where, and I think like we just People just have the tendency to do that. I think you have to constantly, the no part, you know how you said it's nine months? It's actually like your life's It's your work. lifetime, yes. You yes. know, like I am constantly working on myself to like figure out my trigger points. Like what, like w- how can I show up and be better? Like where am I lacking in my relationship? It's like a constant exploration. And I feel like it also evolves as you evolve as a person. Absolutely. And it evolves in each relationship. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things that I learned was reciprocal determinism and Esther Perel champions this in her work as well because she has critiques of the self-help culture because in essence, it's telling people like, learn about yourself, learn about your boundaries, learn about and like create this template for who you are. But a big part of who you are has to do with who you're around. Mm-hmm. And my personality is being shaped by our interaction the version of me that is showing up here today has a lot to do with the way that you smile when I walk into the room. If you were cold and standoffish, if you word your questions in a different way, you're going to see a different version of, of course. me. So I have to know not only who I am, but know who I'm going to become in reflection of every single person I meet. It's a lot of fucking work. Also, what's really interesting is I was having a conversation about this. Actually, like we had our team over and we were just having a conversation and we were talking about 
one of my team members was like, I want someone who's a good listener, right? And I was like, it's interesting, this concept of good listener, because- Are they a bad listener? Yes, and that's what she said. She's very self-aware. She's like, this is something that I'm not good at. I'm trying to work on, but I want someone who's a good listener. And we were talking about this. I was like, I've seen people who are really good listeners in a work capacity, which by the way, she's an incredible listener in a work capacity. I've never seen anything like it. But how they show up in a relationship is completely different because I think that sometimes- if you're like very comfortable with someone like around your loved ones or your partner, those things sort of shift. So I also think that that's really fascinating. Yeah, exactly. Reciprocal determinism. So it's like situational as well. Yes. So that's number one is no. So like really do some digging into who you are and like figuring out all of these things and read Shan's book to find out how you can do that more. What's step two? It's interesting because I think the fun part about no is that the last exercise I did Mm -hmm. is I had each person reflect on the other. Like if you saw Stephanie in 40 years and you asked her, are you still single? And she said, yes. What would you say the reason would be? Based on- Fascinating. Right? I love that question. And almost everybody had the same response about each person. And that was something that the person had not considered about themselves. So that was really interesting to me. And one of my fave philosophers, Elaine DeBotten says this, that the average person knows more about your faults and shortcomings within five minutes than you can occur in your entire lifetime. It's really hard to know yourself. That is an incredible exercise, which I feel like people should just do in like all facets. Like that's so cringe though. But you know what? I think I, I hope I would know. I'm like pretty aware of what my shit is. So, so am I, I feel that same way, but it's, interesting like most people I think unless you're actively going about doing this work you don't really know yes sometimes like if I'm having a conversation with like someone I really trust like be it like my best friends or my husband or my parents like sometimes they'll point something out and all like three parties will point something similar out to him like shit like maybe I got to work on that like maybe I didn't know that this was something that I was projecting out into the world but I am so something for me to dig deeper into. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to get the reflection of people who just met you versus somebody who really knows you. Yeah, I catch myself all the time. Yesterday, my friend was over and my husband was talking about something. And I think in an attempt to be like edgy, cool, I was like like cutting him down a lot. Mm-hmm. And then my friend made a comment like, whoa, way to be a supportive wife. And I was like, well, I was doing this for you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm trying to impress you by being like, ah, I'm like the cool, like mm-hmm. irreverent wife. And then instead <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're being a dick right now. Yeah. So yeah. that was something I had to be like, okay, like, I would examine that about myself. Yeah. And it's it, like that self-awareness. Sometimes it it comes from like an outward place as well. Yes. So it's it. I like that exercise. I feel I think like people should just do it. OK, great. Let's do it. <laughs> OK. Step two after no is to change. Change. OK. Yeah. And this is a hard one. But once you know and you accept mm-hmm. and you can pinpoint the origin of something, change is actually not that hard. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the problems with change, people don't know what to change or specifically like how to go about it. And then they might have a resistance to it because you're like, well, it serves me in this way or, well, it's only because this person did that to me. And so you're looking for the apology before you give yourself the permission to move on and do something about Mm -hmm. something that's, you know, a fault that's been created. I I can't think of a better way to say that. But I do think that, uh, yeah, the change part was definitely easier because then you're like, okay. Like for me, a big thing I changed that shifted my relational trajectory. Because similar to how I started as a sex educator because my sex life was so shitty, I really actually delved into the romantic relationship and dating side probably 2016, 15, Mm -hmm. because my love life was so terrible. Mm. And I had 
high hopes and bad results consistently. So that's when I was like, okay, let me read everything I possibly can about seduction, attraction, dating. I'm not good at this thing. Mm -hmm. I'm just not. I'm not good at flirting. It's just the way that it is, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's who's attracted to me that I end up pursuing because I don't know how to pursue someone for myself, which puts me in the passenger seat, one of the biggest decisions in my life. And oftentimes people who are choosing me didn't always have the best intention. So I wanted more control, more competence in my life. And so I learned through that my own process that my disagreeableness was like my number one fault. And my disagreeableness has served me tremendously in my life. I wouldn't have the career that I have unless I had a fuck you, I'm doing my way attitude. Like that's my brand, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is society's way. This is what's taboo. Fuck you. I'm gonna talk about it. I'm gonna be bold and public about it. And that has done really well for me in some areas. And it was making my love life a living hell. And it was pushing away good partners. And then it was creating drama and trauma bonds with negative partners. And once I really worked on that part of myself, a whole different dating experience opened up for me. Well, you know, I think it's really interesting that you point this out and thank you for sharing that. But it's a really good example of how certain traits may serve us in certain parts of our lives, but it doesn't mean that it's transferable to something else. And I think like it's not something that people are aware of or like it takes a lot of self-awareness to realize that because if something is serving you, you almost feel attached to that part of your personality and you feel like it needs to transfer over everywhere. But that's not necessarily the case. Exactly. And it's also knowing yourself more intimately because it's interesting when I talk about that disagreeable factor, a lot of people have been like very resistant towards that or like critical of that. And if you actually read the reviews in the book, like that's one of the biggest criticisms that's like, she's telling women to be more agreeable and to just to go along with it. And like I'm telling women who have my issue that mm -hmm. if you have the opposite issue where you're a people pleaser and you prioritize other people's comfort needs and boundaries well over your own, and you don't insert your opinion because you're afraid of rocking the boat, you don't need this advice, mm -hmm. right? So, but if you are someone like me who it's like, yeah, there's a lot of times I just don't need to tell somebody like, slow down, drive safer, let's have this instead. Like I can, if left unchecked, I could have an opinion and I could be demanding about every single thing in, the, in this lifetime. So yeah. it's extremely important for me, given my personal makeup, to keep a check on that. Well, that's the thing. I think that people also read things or listen to something and they're like, I don't know, like they, they think that, oh, like you're saying so it's this or this. And it's like, OK, like, let's just look at it in a wholesome situation. Like, don't just take it out of context and have it be like an umbrella statement. You know what I mean? Yeah, and everything is gonna, you know, too much of anything is not a good thing. So agreeableness, yes, too much of it is not a good thing. But Finding sociologists will tell you that's like the number one determinant for whether somebody will be able to maintain a long-term relationship. So agreeableness within the partnership goes a very long way. It lends itself to mutuality, which goes an extremely long way. Well, I, I think it was in John Gottman's book that I, I read this and it was like, cause you know, he predicts like the divorce, chances of divorce. And I read this book, I think it was like 2016, 2017 maybe. And I was so fascinated by the fact that he, like he brought this up and I don't remember the exact languaging that he said, but it was like, if two partners are both like putting their, like prioritizing wanting to be right over just coming to a conclusion that even though it's like, maybe you put your ego aside, 
if if you're just like at loggerheads, like that's never going to lead to a good road down the line. You know what I mean? Yes. So even if you are like someone who's like, no, my way doesn't mean that it's going to lead you to success in the relationship. It's not about winning, you know? Esther Perel, which we should just call this podcast. Yeah. Oh my Go God, listen to Esther Perel and Dr. John Gottman, but, and then his wife as well, who's, they work together, mm-hmm. but we should just call it, go listen to them. But she has the quote of, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be married? So sometimes it comes down to that. Which yeah. It's a hard pill for people to swallow. I was on a podcast a couple, maybe a couple months ago now. It was, um, Kev on stage and Melissa, mm-hmm. and he was saying how they're trying to practice radical honesty in their relationship like just saying the thing and how most people have a very hard time saying that, like not trying to sugarcoat it. Here's exactly how I feel and why. And he was like, you know, just giving that advice. I'm like, it's interesting because that would, I have the exact opposite advice. I do not, I'm very like, I do my best not to be a, that honest in my relationship. It's not that honest anywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't show up anywhere and be like, you guys don't have snacks. That sucks. I'm hungry. <laughs> I, did I think it for sure? But why would I say that and make it weird? Right. So so much in a marriage is really just. <laughs> oh my god! I'll have snacks. Next. <laughs> I don't have snacks when people come over and do my podcast. So I completely. Now that I said that, I should do that for other people. Oh I never god, have snacks I'm either. <laughs> <laughs> so you are not that honest in your. Relationship. I'm not that honest anywhere else because I also acknowledge myself. I'm a naturally very critical person. So I just yeah. I'm, I a big part of my marriage's success is my shut the fuck up filter. The fact that I'm like, (laughs) no need to say that. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about this concept. So like, again, another conversation that I'm constantly having with my girlfriends is the concept of the pen pal. Okay. Have you noticed that while dating, guys apparently don't want to make plans. Like it's just like, (laughs) I hear it from all these different sources, no link. And everyone is talking about the pen pal. Oh my gosh. It's just like you're on the app or you're texting and no plan is ever made. And like my girlfriends are like, look, like, you know, I have no problem making the first move, but why are these men not doing anything? And I was talking to um, my EA about this on the car ride over and she's like, I think it's just these guys who are too much in their feminine, like, or I don't know what it is. And so I just wanted to ask you your thoughts on that. Number one is what, what the fuck do you do if you have this pen pal? Okay. Like, is it your job to translate it over? And B, if you actually do want a man to like make those plans, like, is that wrong? Like, how do you navigate it? So I would love to hear your thoughts. It sounds like an overcorrection from some massive cultural shifts that we've had, starting Mm. with Me Too, then to the pandemic, then to the rise of conversations around toxic masculinity, where I assume for a lot of men, there's a lot of fear of overstepping, a lot of fear of meeting in person and causing harm. Mm. I think a lot of us had to get over that fear in general socially of like, seeing people and we were told that for two years straight yeah like when you see someone you could kill them and their grandma <laughs> and then you're like oh my god i don't want to do that and so every social interaction you need to have through such a lens and a filter like is this absolutely necessary mm-hmm. and then prior to that man it was like okay you might have thought that this was cool it's not you might have thought this person was interested in you and it was not you may not have thought that you are a sexual assaulter and abuser but you probably are so going through a couple of years of hearing that and then coming out of that, how, you know, men, it's a very common conversation to shit talk straight men in general. So I wonder if there's like 
an overcorrection there where they're like, am I really serious? Is this really going somewhere? I don't want to lead somebody on. I don't want to overinvest. I don't want to harm somebody. I don't want to put them in a bad situation. So I'm going to wait to meet up until it's like, absolutely, I'm positively sure that I can be a positive force in this person's life. So I wonder if it's a bit of that. And so then if someone is in this situation and say it is an overcorrection, okay, or like whatever it is, it's obviously like a through line that I'm seeing with enough women that I'm like, huh, like what the hell is going on? And I don't remember hearing this a few years ago. I just don't remember it being like a common conversation. It was kind of the opposite. It was like, yeah. let's meet up so we can have sex right now. It literally, I yes. don't know your last name. Yeah. But put it in my face. A hundred percent. And so I feel like this like switch has happened. And so if that is the case, how are women supposed to navigate that? I think if your interest is to move things further, like there's a difference between like ultimatums and invitations to meet you where you are. Mm -hmm. So I'm on this app because I'm looking for a partner and these are the hobbies I want to do. I'm really like, I'm excited about hiking. I'm excited about travel, whatever you're excited about. Like I'm excited about these things. And so I'm interested in you but to be honest with you, the way that I would love to engage with you is in like a more physical way. If mm -hmm. you're not there yet, I totally get it. But whenever you're ready to meet up, I'm free on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Like, can you be specific? You know, I'd, I have this day open often. I'd love to meet up with you sometime. So I think you just make it clear that in order to advance the intimacy, this is the next step that you're looking for. And it's cool if they're not there yet, but that's the next place to go to if they want things to go further. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting advice because I think that if it is in fact an overcorrection, then it gives the man an opportunity to take the ball and like do what he wants with that ball. Yeah. And then if it's like a case of the guy is just out there wanting a pen pal, then like you've kind of like, okay, it's not for you anymore because you actually want to move further and I don't know what they want. Yeah, I think that that was something I did a lot in my, when I dated in my 30s, I dated so well. Mm -hmm. I was great at it. And that was something I started doing a lot more of, of being like, someone did something that was kind of annoying. Like this one guy I was dating where he would message me and be like, hey, are you free today? And I'm like, yeah. And I'd respond back right away. And then three hours later, it'd be like, okay, I just finished at the gym. Like, what are you doing later? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm doing this. Then four hours later, okay. And I was like, hey, I want to make plans with you. I want to hang out with you. But this level of communication is, does not work for me. Mm -hmm. I don't like my day being open. I don't like open-ended dialogues. If you can't finish a conversation that you start with me because you're in the middle of something, don't even start it. Don't mm -hmm. stress. I don't need to hear from you to feel like safe. So- yeah miss that good morning text mix me miss me with the what are you doing later if you're in the middle of talking to your mom about something really important when you're ready to talk talk otherwise i'm cool mm -hmm. and so i think doing it in that framework where i wasn't like negative it was like here's what i like here's what's not working if you want to engage with me here's best practices how do you toe the line between being clear about what it is you're looking for while also not kind of like being like, oh, like I'm in it for marriage. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you, how are you Ooh, clear about one. what you want? Yeah, it's a hard one because, you know, I'll, let me ask you a question then. What are your thoughts on intentional dating? Like, do you think that someone should, cause it's like, we, I have people who are very team intentional dating and it works for them where they go out with someone they say like, I'm looking for a long-term partner. Is that where you're at? So look, I, I, when I dated, I was like a lot younger, right? I'm 31 right now. I don't know how I'd approach it at this stage, but here's my thing. When I was dating, and I still think like if today I was single, I would probably want the same thing. A lot of it is the thrill, you know, where it's like you play the games and like you kind of feel it out. And yes, while I want 
partner, I still want that feeling of like knowing that they have to work for me and I have to work for them. Does that make sense? Yes. So I'm not out there trying to like sleep with like every guy that comes my way. And that's not the kind of man I want to attract either. But I think that chase is like, that's what makes it like fun. That's what makes dating fun. And it also makes it feel so much better when you earn the title, right? So it's not like I want a boyfriend. It's like, I want you to be my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get married. It's like, I want to marry you. And you find a lot of people who get that phase in life where you're like, I don't actually know if you want to marry me or you just want to get married. Exactly, exactly. And for me, like, I think even at this stage, that's kind of the person that I am where it's like, I if I wasn't with my husband, it's not like I'd just be out there trying to get married. You know, it's like I want to find the right person to get married to or be with. And if I don't like that's cool, like I'll keep looking until I do. But I just don't want to settle just because this is like a life goal that I have, you know? Yeah, I think you should have a like around the third date or so. Mm -hmm. Like initially, let's all just leave space for the fact that dating is really cool. Yeah. You've got a complete stranger who's willing to invest time in getting to know you just to see if there's something there. And that's how it should start. Mm -hmm. Just want to see if there's something there. Is there a friendship? Is there a connection? Is there a vibe? That's what I'm just trying to figure out. I don't need to place any expectations on you. I don't know anything about you yet. And then maybe third date in, I can inform somebody that like, this is something that I'm looking to fill, a role I'm looking to fill. But in the meantime, as long as we are enjoying the experience, getting to know each other, let's keep doing this and see what we want to call it mm-hmm. whenever it makes sense. Like a title should always be something that you're like living in and you're like, oh, let's call this thing that so people understand it versus something you aspire to. Yeah. So I think if you can kind of keep that pace, it, it can work really nicely. I think it's also really important, even if you are looking for a long-term partner, look at yourself like a company. What other roles could you possibly be hiring for? Love that tip. I want a long-term partner, but I also wouldn't mind somebody who watches Lo- White Lotus with me. Like that's their show. We talk about it. I also wouldn't mind a pen pal. As you were saying the pen pal thing, girl, I would love a pen pal. <laughs> I would love I would love a flirty partner who I could just engage with. They never want to see me. Have no pressure on doing anything with me. Like just a person that I go to to get like my compliment fix, like an ego fix mm-hmm. or just some flirty banter. I would love that shit. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me to ever meet up with you. I'm not interested. Right now, I have two fucking kids. It's just not possible and a <laughs> husband. So that I think would be cool for me, but I would be like a bit more clear and intentional about looking for that kind of role to fill. I actually love that piece of advice because I'm I'm with you. It may not just, not everyone you meet will be that all encompassing, like the one, but I don't know, like maybe it's like something else. So I think it's a great piece of advice. And it allows you to, to show up more joyfully in dating. I think what I said when I was really great at dating, mm-hmm. one of my biggest hacks, so my husband started out as my, you're not swearing. I'm okay to swear, right? Oh yeah. Because I'm like, she's not engaging with me. So. Oh no, I, I, I'm surprised because one of the comments that I get most is, I swear too much on this oh podcast. Oh my gosh. So. <laughs> Sorry, commenters. So I'm only saying this not as a swear. This is just a fact. Mm-hmm. My husband started out as my fuck, fuck buddy. buddy. Same. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You're, you've got to tell me. Oh yeah. We, I mean, yeah, we were, we were fucking for a very long time before we put Do a title on it. Do you differentiate fuck buddy and friends of benefits? It's a tough line. So my husband was my friend, but we were very attracted to each other right from the beginning. And I I guess, but like, I guess fuck buddy is a little bit more like fucking go. Yes. So I graduated from fuck buddy to friends of benefits. I think, yeah, similar, similar trajectory as well. It was not like a let's cuddle and hang out. Like there was none of that. It was just like, okay, we're, we're done our 
thing. Like, off you go. Yes. <laughs> Don't like not here to cuddle. I actually hated cuddling for like seven years. So it took him a long time to get me on board. But yeah, like I think that that was a really good dynamic for us. And there was like a lot of good attraction and all of that. And it kind of morphed into a relationship down the line as we realized that there was like definitely something more in terms of compatible personalities and all of that as well. Yes. One of my favorite bit, bits of advice is that healthy intimacy is built one step at a time. And at each step, you should stop and hang out there. Mm-hmm. Be like, do you want to stay here? Do you feel more comfortable going back? Mm-hmm. Should we go forward? And that's how our marriage was built. It wasn't like we were moving towards something. It was this leisurely walk. But see, this is what I want to point out. We're like, we have a similar experience, right? Like where you weren't necessarily looking to marry. It kind of went there. I wanted to get married, but I wasn't looking at every partner. That's what like, I mean. You could be my husband. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so I think there was like maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is your experience, but maybe a little bit less pressure that you put on yourself as well. Oh, tons of less pressure. And I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves. One of my favorite stats is that 80% of people by age of 40 will have a long-term romantic partnership. And you cannot apply that stat to anything else. Not 80% of us will have our dream job. Not 80% of us will own a house. So this is one area in life that you can relax in. Yeah. Wow. That's a very- are going to figure it out. That's from Singles in America. Dr. Helen Fisher does that study year after year. Mm -hmm. And I read that stat in the book, Bad Boyfriends. But yeah, I think that you can take the pressure off in this space and be like, I'm likely going to figure this thing out. It's going to happen eventually. There's so many people on this planet. Majority of them have the same objective of looking for a pairing. If I'm living joyfully, if I'm showing up, if I'm intentional, if I'm working on myself, especially I said in the game of desire, like if you do this, you're going to win. You just, you can't lose. Like, you already, even just by existing, you have a high chance of winning this game. Mm-hmm. If you're intentional and you have a strategy, like you cannot lose. So I think they, yeah, I definitely had that ease with it. We're like, I'm going to figure this part out. It's just when and who. So last question I have to ask you, and I like I could honestly keep talking to you for like a, two more hours, but this is how I want to end. It's an audience question. When you get into a first date, how should you navigate it? Especially if you are someone who's wanting like your intention is down the line to find a partner. And like, that's kind of what you're like, where you're looking to take your life. Do you go and like lay it all out there on the table? These are my likes, dislikes. What about you? You know, like, how do you navigate dating if you want it to go well? The like key ten poles to seeing if someone could be a good partner for you are shared values and how you show up in those values every single day. Mm -hmm. What's your moral compass? And then lifestyle. Do we like to do similar things at similar times? Is our lifestyle aligned? And then long-term goals. And so like, what do you want? What do you see for yourself? What are you moving towards aggressively? And I think if you can find sneaky ways of discovering those, shouldn't be listed like that, right? Like, what do you do on Fridays? (laughs) How much, do you go to church, right? Like here's ways of being like, okay, like here's what I do week to week. Do Mm -hmm. you do something similar? I can ask that in engaging, fun and inviting ways. That's also a huge piece too. I would say, Basic advice, if you want to be a pro dater, if you take nothing else from this podcast, implement the two to one rule. For every one question someone asks you, ask them two in return. Number one, you'll always learn more. And the person who learns more gains something. Even if it was a boring, I've been on dates before where I'm like, this dude is so boring and way shorter than I thought he would be. But I learned about like distribution in China. You know what I mean? Because I was just like, let me just ask. And so I didn't leave being like that was a waste of time. I might have been like, that's not my person, but I learned a lot. You may as well make the most of it. Make the most of it. 
you always gain if you go in with a learner's mindset, even if it's not your person. And number two, it is the easiest way to make people fall in love with you. Like I went on a date experiment once. I did a show where I was like trying all these psychological experiments on dates. And one of the experiments was from the 36 questions to make you fall in love. And there's this theory that if you build intimacy with someone through like deepeningly intimate questions, eventually at the end, you'll feel something similar to love with them. But instead of it being reciprocal, I just rapid fire asked the 36 questions. They didn't know I was doing this. And in the end, they were like, I don't feel like I've ever known anyone as much as I like know you. Like I feel so connected to you. I'm like, I didn't say anything about myself. Just the fact that they got to talk. Oh my God. They were like, our connection. Like, I just feel like I know you like so well. Like you don't. So if you want to be a great dater, ask people questions. Like that's going to give you a leg up on 90% of the population. And plus it's something valuable for you too. And also it's how you can vet if they're a good potential partner. Oh my God. Okay. Well, this was, I learned so much and I hope that other you, people have. You engaged like a five to one. <laughs> I think I asked you about if your husband was a fuck buddy and why there aren't snacks. Other than that, you did all the learning. So yeah. Um, thank you so much for being here. Tell everyone where they can find you. Lovers and Friends is my podcast, which you have to come on with your husband now, please. 100%. And tell the story. I just, I, I would love that. Yes, 100% would love to. Also, I feel like we need to follow up on this conversation. I just loved chatting with you. Okay, great. I'd love to come back. Yay, amazing. And Instagram and all of that. Yes, I am a firm believer you get one wish with people. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, go to the podcast. Fair. I want to overwhelm you. Okay. Lovers and Friends, a podcast. You're already listening to a podcast right now. Shouldn't be a far jump. Please do that. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.